welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers and sometimes a special guest have a few drinks and some laughs, laughs while we revise our old work or discuss writing-related topics. Uh, I'm Avery. I write adult fantasy. Um, what I am working on is revising. Again, I was drafting. It did not go so well. Now I'm back to revising something else. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I'm reading is I am currently between books. I'm still trying to decide what to read next. Um, I think it's probably going to be The Sleepless by Victor Manibo, which is a near future speculative kind of noir detective story. And it sounds pretty pretty cool and creepy and thrillery, which I now that the weather's acting like it might at some point get cold again, I'm already ready for spooky season and I'm ready to start reading some spooky stuff. <laughs> spooky. I want to read spooky too. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm DC. I write fantasy and speculative fiction. I am currently reading Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhouse as I make my way through my literary agency's authors, and I'm having fun reading it. It's really awesome to be reading fantasy again. I am reading this one first, um, as opposed to everything else on KT Literary's list, because I really need to get back into fantasy and magic systems, and I need to get my palette wet again with this stuff, and it feels great, and Rebecca Roanhorse is doing a great job so far. And uh, today, we have a guest. Uh, we'll be talking with Matthew Spencer about his experiences being trans and how to better write trans characters. And this is part of our new sort of interview series that we're doing. Uh, what did you call it, Avery? Uh, write it better. Write it better. <laughs> we're going to start uh, finding people to interview that have uh, jobs and lives outside of writing. So us writers can like sort of get a taste of what these people are doing so that we can write them better in our own books. Um, Matt. Do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your work and maybe what you're reading, if you're reading anything. Yeah, sure. I'm Matt, and I'm a freelance illustrator, full-time. <laughs> um, I'm trans, and I just finished reading. Um, I listened to Between Two Fires by Christopher Buhlman, and it was amazing. And I think I'm going to start reading Orlando next by Virginia Woolf. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, we always do a themed drink, and for this one, um, what we decided to do was to let Matt pick a drink, and then we would kind of do our twist on it, and Matt chose a grasshopper, um, which is normally just three basic ingredients. It's a, uh, I am going to mispronounce this, I meant to Google it before the podcast, is it creme de menthe? Month? That's how I say it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I'm sorry, French is not one of the languages I've ever studied, um, but creme de menthe, mint liqueur, uh, creme de cacao, chocolate liqueur, and cream or some sort of milk or dairy or dairy substitute, depending. Uh, what I did was I added just a tiny splash of absinthe and a tiny splash of um, maraschino liqueur. I will admit I did steal the idea of absinthe from the bartender Pamela Wisnitzer, who I listened to do a grasshopper episode on Cocktail College podcast recently. The maraschino was quote unquote, my idea. I am sure I am not the first person to have that idea, but I didn't personally steal it from anyone. But I did steal the absinthe from her. <laughs> I did a shot version of this uh, because I'm on a diet and I can't have a full drink. And I gotta say that that absinthe adds a layer to that mm -hmm. that I'm loving. So the lady, is it a lady that you got this from? I believe so. 
Yeah, just that's a great idea. That's so good. What the hell? Yeah, it was genius. I will never not make a grasshopper without the absinthe again. Mm. <laughs> that is so The maraschino good. too comes through yeah, like the... just a little bit and it's really good. Yeah. The maraschino is for me um, because it dries <laughs> it out just a little bit and kind of softens the like heaviness of it just a little bit. Yeah, and it balances out the bitterness of the absinthe, which is really nice. So yeah, so that's the drink. So uh, I guess we can move on to the interview. Yes, but before we do, uh, I just noticed that there was not there was no mention of this in our little notes here. Um, uh, for anybody that may be listening that doesn't know what we mean when we say somebody is trans, we're talking about somebody in the transgender community, which means basically they they were born one gender and they decided that they felt. I will probably jump. I will fuck this up, even though I am trans <laughs> myself. <laughs> I will fuck this up. Um, they they've decided that there, you know, there's just a better there's a better way for them. You know, there's a better gender that they don't really identify with the, the biological gender they were born with, so they transition. So that's what Matt is here to talk with us today about. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll kind of start off with a couple of just icebreakers to get us into the interview zone and then we'll kind of move into the topic at hand uh and dc you can kind of bounce off we can kind of trade off questions as needed oh i'll always bounce off you know i don't follow script <laughs> i'm bouncy i'm super bouncy i'm here to stir shit up you're a rebel a rebel dotty yeah. a loner uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your job uh you said you know you're an illustrator um what does that entail and you know how did you get into that and... uh well so i've been drawing since I was little and uh, after high school I went to art school and uh, I've been doing commissions you know private work for just anyone who wants it since then and more recently since like COVID I've been getting jobs that I'm more satisfied with like I've been working with the small queer publisher Dion Hemlock out of uh, Washington DC a bit for the past two years um, I illustrated I've made 40 illustrations for their anthology, Unfettered Hexes, and that had like an Oracle deck to go wow. along with it. Um, so like I do everything from like drawing and painting people's D&D characters to working with an editor or an author to depict moments from written work. So it's kind of all over the place and it's a great job and I love it. And uh, you're like I'm our having a good time. Friend. You're the author's yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> Authors love pictures of our stuff. We thank you. We love pictures. What's the like best thing you've ever eaten or had to drink? Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of really good food this summer and it's like so much that I can't really name just one, but I have been daydreaming today about Deep dish BLT pizza from Jet. Oh. Like, <laughs> it's like an old standby. That's like the best food. <laughs> Nothing like a thick crusted Jet's pizza. That yeah. sounds really good. Go on there. <laughs> I want to die and I want pizza. <laughs> I know. I want pizza so bad. <laughs> we happen to do this on the same week that uh, DC and I are making some diet changes, <laughs> and so both of us are, are having some pizza cravings. Uh, Why am I such a fat ass? Why did I put the food question in 
<laughs> you did this to yourself. What have you done? <laughs> oh no. Um. Okay. So another our last icebreaker question. What is your guilty pleasure song? Okay. So one day I was building a Hanagram Hannibal Wilgram ship playlist, <laughs> and I put Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball on there, <laughs> and. Now I accidentally like the song Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. <laughs> That's like a great category of things is things I did ironically and then accidentally became not ironic. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. I yeah. thought you were going to say Circus by Britney Spears. Oh, no, it would have been Toxic by Britney Spears. I actually have that written down as an alternative. I don't know. For me, I don't know if any Britney song is technically a guilty pleasure. but. What? No, I was gonna say I like them. I just don't know if they're guilty pleasures or if it's just like I like it. That's that's fair. It's just a regular pleasure. Right. A pleasure. <laughs> I like it. It's not guilt. Yes. I like it. <laughs> no guilt. Um Okay, so we're kinda gonna move into the main discussion now. So we're just kind of start off with you kind of telling us a little bit about your personal story and your experience transitioning. And we'll kind of build off of there. The big question. <laughs> What was it like? Yeah, it's big. And I, like, I, I, you know, wrote myself some notes to, like, try and keep it, stay on track and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, how much of this is just, like, too much information? Um. <laughs> oh, but, 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 but I want to add in, just because I want to add in, if you could start, like, early, because, like, the people who, mm -hmm. like, I want to be able to listen to this, like, I want people to know, like, sort of, like, what it feels like from the very start, too. Like, so if you want to go into that a little bit, that'd be great. <laughs> um, if you don't, oh, obviously, okay. you know, like, don't go uh, past your comfort zone or anything, but, like, we want to know, because we're writers, okay. and we don't know anything about being trans, like, you know, okay. and, and so many people are writing trans characters these days. <laughs> and so let's educate us. I, so, okay. Yes, and we don't want you to be uncomfortable, but anything you are comfortable <laughs> with is not too much. Okay, so before I say anything, I do want to, like, give a disclaimer, um, and so I just want to say, just with anything else, there's a very, very wide variety of experiences from person to person. Um, and there's no like one like real trans experience that everybody shares and um, things like gender expression and sexuality and like the amount that people want to medically and socially transition, like mm -hmm. it varies wildly from person to person. And all the experiences that we have are impacted by factors like race, religion, family and community support or lack thereof and like financial resources and even to like what extent people pass as the gender that they're expressing. And I can only share my personal experience and um, I've been relatively fortunate and privileged in that. And so I just want to like put out a disclaimer that this is just one person's experience. Thank you. And You're I can't so possibly speak for every trans person out there. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. Thank you. It's so true. It's so true. No one can do that. It's so true. But yeah. We're so excited to hear yours, and okay. yes, we definitely second that. We know as queer folks here on this that, you know, no no one size fits all. Yeah. That, that's our motto here. Yeah. Okay. So, starting early, I'll say, like, the first, because I, okay, <laughs> I didn't really become aware of, like, 
transgender as a thing that someone could be until like late middle school, early high school. Um, so before that, I I didn't really have, I don't remember having any like feelings that I could place, you know, in hindsight as like, oh, I definitely felt like I was, you know, a boy or, you know, I definitely felt like I was something other than the girl that my parents raised me as. Um, I can say that I was, I was an active kid. I liked, like, I played soccer and I played Lord of the, you know, I played, I played like Lord of the Rings outside with my friends. And like, whenever we played, like my friends and I played make-believe in the backyard and like, we would play Hunchback of Notre Dame and I was Quasimodo or something. I don't remember. It's a very strange childhood memory I have, but um, so, like, you know, there's, like, little stuff that, like, no one really ever took note of. I think you would probably call me a tomboy, but I also, you know, was a quiet kid who liked reading and drawing and stuff. So, like, yeah, there's some stereotypes, I feel like, that weren't the case for me. But, like, things became, things. it became clear that, like, I was definitely not cis- or straight, like, as, like, puberty kind of happened. And, like, mid late middle school, I kind of was, like, trying to find my place. I went through a lot of different, like, fashion choices as a as a young preteen slash teen. Um, like, everything from wearing, like, t-shirts and flowy skirts uh, to, like, emulate my, like, friend who was super into Wicca all the way to, like, low-rise jeans and, I don't know... And then, like, once I hit high school, um, I kind of, like, I found an identity that I was a little bit more comfortable with when I came out to my parents as a lesbian, because I started dating my best friend, uh, who was a girl, and so, like, I was like, yeah, this is, this feels right, I'm definitely, like, this, this feels definitely more right than, like, being into boys as as a girl, because I didn't really process the fact at the time that, like, I am into dudes, just not as, as you know, a female-identified person, <laughs> or, you know, not identified, um, not, like, in a straight way. But you weren't thinking about it that hard back then. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't, and I didn't really know what to do with the feelings that, that were, like, yeah, this is all hindsight, you know, at the time, like, lesbian felt right, I I started dressing, a, like, a little more comfortably with myself, like, um, I definitely felt drawn to, like, the, the butch sort of identity, and, um, and then, like, it all kind of became a little bit clearer, like, I have this very, like, I can all pin it to, like, this one moment, and it was being a uh, freshman homecoming. And I went to homecoming in, like, a dress, like all my other friends who were, you know, girls at the time. And I wore, like, this pink dress and these go-go boots. And I had, like, short hair, you know, the kind of long in front, short in the back cut, mm -hmm. which was a far cry from the long hair that I had leading up to that year. But um, I wore this dress and I had a terrible time. And I was like... I felt so uncomfortable in my skin. And the contrast between that experience and wearing slacks and a button-up and a tie the following year and continually being mistaken for a boy by people as I walked around school, just not only at that dance, but, like, just in day-to-day -day life at school, like, I got 
quote unquote misgendered as a boy a lot. And I was like, oh, hey, <laughs> this, I, I think I, did you like it? <laughs> I like this feeling. What is this? Is this just because I like fucking with people that I think would like don't like me if wouldn't like me if they knew or is it like something deeper so that was kind of like how i started thinking about it and there was a lot of like conversations like well like with my girlfriend at the time like oh what what would i look like if i were a boy or like you know like you know stuff like that like how i would interact differently did you know about the transgender community around this time i had i had I was using the internet, and so, of course, I was exploring general, you know, queer stuff, queer history, and, like, LGBTQ identities and everything. Um, probably some things that I didn't, you know, was a little young to know about. Hanky code and stuff. But, <laughs> That's you know. awesome. Good um, for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Everybody learns things on the internet when they're a little too young. <laughs> a good time. I don't regret a second of it. Um, but uh, I... You know, I, I started to kind of get a feel for things a little bit more. And I didn't really think much more of it beyond identifying as a butch lesbian until college. Um, when I had my uh, girlfriend and I had gone our separate ways. And uh, I actually, I, I met Darren <laughs> at... Uh, See, at the uh, at the English placement exam at our college that we attended together, and I saw them, and I was like, oh, "I'm gonna go sit next to that person because <laughs> they have a vibe." <laughs> and that vibe at the time was was oh, they look queer as hell. They look like they might also be like maybe like they were kind of androgynous, you know? Like I was like, okay, so. Meeting Darren kind of like, and at the time they were, I feel like Darren was pretty open about like, not, you you were, I don't know if you were using he, him pronouns at the time. I don't like, know what I was doing. <laughs> but you were definitely presenting a, I am not cisgender yeah. vibe. And so that kind of like opened my mind a little bit to like, okay, it, it's a little bit different now. There are, might be some possibilities I might be able to like, do something about these feelings of confusion. <laughs> it was such a stark contrast in comfort level, like kind of mentally placing myself, you know, imagining like what transitioning would be like versus how uncomfortable I was feeling at times in high school and stuff. And so like it, it just, it was like a, a revelation. It was, it was not even a question. I like I <laughs> I made a post <laughs> on Facebook in uh oh, that that was 2010 on um, National Coming Out Day and <laughs> I was like I am not <laughs> you know I want to be called Matt <laughs> I want to use he him pronouns I'm trans and I think there was <laughs> some argument on that day about like whether I you know there was like a little bit of like oh, do I feel foolish for, like, doing this in such a big, showy way? Or at least what felt that way at the time. And and it, it, I think, you know, looking back on it, it's like, whatever. It's, it, I think I made the right decision yeah. for me at the time. And then, you know, I had this... I, um, Can I share a funny anecdote real quick before you get too far away from this moment? Oh, yeah. Go for it. 
Go for it. So there was this time. It was like right. It was like I think it was like three days after Matt met me. Well, Matt was going by his old name, and and I and and he was in my car, and I was actually on the phone with my therapist, my my um transition therapist at the time, and I like or something. There was something going on with my phase of transition, and Matt hadn't told me he was trans yet. <laughs> um, and yeah, he was kind of presenting. As a as a queer you know a queer person, but like you know anybody would have called um, him she at the time any ignorant person. And I got off the phone with whatever I was doing, and and I was like, so you want to go to my house? It was the first time Matt had ever come over my house, <laughs> and and I said, so you introduced yourself under this name, but what's your real name? <laughs> And like Matt just looked at me like I had just seen right through him, like because he had never told anybody his his preferred name before. And I was just like, I know it's in there. Like, I know you can't possibly go by this name. And he's just like, well, 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 actually, it would be really cool to be called Matthew someday. Like, And I was like, you should do that. Like, It was really sweet. He was super shy. It was so cute. It was cute. I'm really glad that you remember that because, like, I, I, I have such a shitty memory. It was so cute. Yeah, I remember that. Definitely. I'm an enabler. Whenever I see somebody <laughs> yeah. who who looks like they haven't had the door open for them, I open the door and I'm like, "Oh, yeah. you want it?" Like, you're like, I just had this image of you as like the queer Kool Aid man just busting through doors. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I am the queer Kool Aid man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue, Matt. Sorry to interrupt. I had to share that because it was like one of my favorite moments in your training. Yeah, no, that's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, so see, you know, seeing where Darren was and stuff, I got in touch with a therapist because I knew that, that at the time, you know, like I, I had looked up what the transition process was and I was like, okay, it starts with a therapist, so I'm going to find one. So what I actually did, I, I forgot, I... I um, I've always been part of like the uh, U of M health system, and the, at the time they had a, um, and I think they still do, but they had like a gender focused health group, and it was really easy to see and find on the internet. And so I called their number, and I was like, I I broke down crying, leaving a message because like I think it was the first time that I had said it out loud, except to Darren, you know, and uh, and I was like, I need to, I, I want to find a therapist because I think I'm trans, <laughs> and. Um, and so when they called me back, they had paired me with a therapist who I then started seeing and, uh, you know, doing sessions with him and stuff. He kind of guided me through the process, which included, uh, in order to, to start hormone replacement therapy, uh, he, the guidelines at the time included living a year as your preferred gender under the name, you know, and it, pursuing a legal name change. And doing a year of that before getting any access to hormones or surgery or anything. And I don't know if those guidelines have changed because I know that there are a lot of um, issues like um, questions about uh, like gatekeeping and, um, you know, whether that, that path is right for everyone. But that was how I how my transition went. So I the process to get a name change, I've started that and it was a lot of paperwork and i told all my teachers that i'm gonna go by this name and and use he his pronouns and 
and I started using the men's bathroom, which, you know, looking back on it, I'm not sure how I bucked up the courage to start doing that. <laughs> um, you know, I was, I was uh, wearing a binder at the time and I had short hair, but uh, I don't know how, how I managed that because <laughs> I don't think I had the confidence then that I do have now. And uh, so, but it happened. I, I started using the men's bathroom and I, all, my teach, all our teachers um, were pretty good about using our names. Um, my, both mine and Darren, because they were, you know, kind of transitioning at the same time. And once, uh, once that all sort of happened, and that year kind of happened, and the name change happened, and I changed all my paperwork and all my official driver's license and social security and everything official. It was a whole thing. <laughs> I got my my T letter in January of 2012, and. Uh, that started the hor the physical like transition uh, uh, once the social transition had had happened. I was actually just I know you hate talking for long periods <laughs> of time. I was actually gonna break you up for a second to be like just to show the opposite coin of that. Like this this interview is about Matt, but um, just to show like sort of like because you know we mentioned at the beginning every experience is different. Mm -hmm. My experience in college was much different than Matt's experience. Matt's transition was a, a very like it was I wouldn't say there was like a hundred percent accepted because we did have judgmental teachers uh even in our art college um but like he more openly passed than I did you know like even I was like I think there was a point in time where I was like five months on T and Matt hadn't even started yet and and he still passed more than I did and like I struggled and I had, people were very disrespectful to me. Like I was really struggling to fit into my, my own gender. Like it is not, it's Matt is definitely lucky. We don't hate him for that. We love him for that. <laughs> but like, just to show like the opposite, like we went to the exact same school with the exact same people and like the differences in the way they treated him versus the way they were treating me, like was very crazy and i remember having days where i would me and matt would fight because he passed so much better than i did and we'd actually have like these fucking baby ass transgender kids like because he was passing better than i was and i was trying so hard and he wasn't trying at all and we'd like we get at each other's throats about it it was silly but anyway just to break the story up uh, that's a funny story to look back to thank you and thanks <laughs> Thanks for having, you know, specifics because, like, the whole thing is a blur to me kind of now. <laughs> Are you comfortable talking about some of the physical changes real quick before we go to the next questions? Or do you want to move on to the next question? Uh, I mean, yeah. Um, cause I'll, I'll kind of, like, wrap it up with, like, the physical stuff. Because uh, after that, it kind of ends. But, um, so, like... Once I got on T, it's, it's, um, I guess I can talk a little bit about, like, the mechanics of that. <laughs> like, yeah! It's, it's, oh, yeah! I, I get it, um, I can only get two doses at a time, because it's a controlled substance. Um, and that, just that as a thing, like, I know everybody kind of has a different experience with their pharmacy. Like, some pharmacies are really, like, picky about filling it and like they're complete shit you know shitheads about it but again i've been very lucky in my experiences but it's a it comes in a little vial it's, it's a very viscous style. viscous oh. fluid um it's clear kind of yellowish um and then 
the way that I do my uh, injections is I do it once every two weeks um, with a, an intramuscular needle. So it's a very long needle um, in my upper thigh. Um, and uh, that's every two weeks for the rest of my life. Yay! <laughs> um, which, and how was that the first time you had to do it? <laughs> What's that? The first few times you had to do that. How was that? Uh, it was, I mean, it's still really, like, it's nerve-wracking, it, like, and I don't know why, because I've been doing it for over 10 years now, but, like, uh, it, it still sometimes hurts, and I, like, I'm, I'm still always a little hesitant to jab the needle in, um. Y'all, there's and, a moment when you're sitting there with a giant muscular <laughs> needle, it's, like, three inches long, and you've got the vial filled, and you're sitting on the toilet in your bathroom, and you're, like, literally staring at the side of your leg and staring at this needle and you're like trying to will yourself <laughs> I, I remember i remember one of your doctors like you asked a nurse one time there you were like what if it hits the bone and your nurse was like what if it does the nurse is like fuck it <laughs> Like, you have to sit there for, like, at least I used to have to sit there for, like, five to ten minutes at a time just yeah. looking at it, like, willing myself to fucking push it in. And there was a period when I was helping you with yours, too. Like, Yeah, I had to come do it because I fucking yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, the actual, so that, like, that's the process. But um, the fastest, the first changes for me, I think, were, like, the hunger and um like the horniness <laughs> um like i got like i got so hungry so easily like my i think my metabolism just like jumped through the roof and um my skin got greasier <laughs> um i grew more hair places that had never had hair or not much hair my fat redistributed so like like i kind of went from like more of a Paris shaped to kind of like a rectangle, <laughs> um, which was interesting. And I started, I started getting male pattern baldness. Lucky, lucky me. Like, oh, thanks, genetic lottery. Like yeah. weird pee yeah. lottery here. That's you gave me that one. Yeah, and um, the voice drop happened. Drop happened, but it, you know, it took it took a while. Like that was, I think, like six months into it. Um, and and the the changes kind of all evened out um, after like the first couple years of being on T. But yeah, so that was that. Obviously, I'm happy to answer any questions that come up. But um, is it like from from the period when I got testosterone to like like 2017, I was also wearing a binder um, to kind of. I masculinize my my chest <laughs> we'll say um and that's a whole experience for you know trans people who are pre-op or like haven't had top surgery yet and like the binders i okay why don't you just okay because i think okay so when it comes to writers and writing like cis writers writing trans characters this is an experience that you probably will not have unless you buy a binder and try to put it on do you want to explain yeah. to us what this act of putting these binders <laughs> on looks like i will say i am the token cis but i am a cosplayer yes yeah. yes you are and i have i have worn an actual legit binder 
I've only done it like, a couple <laughs> times for a day at a time. I'm going to let you tell us what that experience yeah. is like. But I'm just going to say <laughs> I can sympathize. <laughs> yeah. So the the my preferred binder was like a it's like a a compression tank top, but it's very it's like it's it's stretchy, but it it's got some some tightness to it. And it, mine was two layers in the front and one layer in the back. And it was always a, a chore to get into, especially after I had just gotten out of a shower. It's miserable to get in or out of if you're wet of any kind, whether it's like because you just took a shower or because it's a really hot day and you're sweaty and like it's everything sticks and you got to maneuver things and get them where you want them. And like sometimes you get stuck with your arms up here and you need to call a friend <laughs> in to pull it down. And, uh yeah, it was just a whole time. And, you know, I was wearing, I was, you know, wearing one for most of the day, most days, like eight hours, which, you know, it's a balance between, <clears throat> well, I do, do I want to, you know, feel terrible dysphoria and like be distracted all day about, by my, you know, anatomy, or do I want to deal with like back pain and probably unhealthy <laughs> habits? And, um, uh, the unhealthy, <laughs> the binding for probably a little too long always took precedence. So, uh, so yeah, it, I I uh, got top surgery in 2017, uh, and it, it, what a major relief! <laughs> what a what a relief! I I actually um made that decision when uh Trump got elected. Yeah, <laughs> Trump got elected, and I was like, okay, I don't know what how this is gonna go. I don't know what's gonna happen uh and if this asshole can get elected why can't i just have this one thing that i you know that i haven't really thought to allow myself because i don't like i had not brought it up like it hadn't come up as a possibility um you know to myself until that moment like i realized i was like oh i graduated college i have a job this is something that I should be able to do for myself. So I actually was able to ask my parents for a little bit of help paying the out-of-pocket costs. Um, Yay, American healthcare I, system! Yeah, yeah. Yay. yeah, some some insurances these days will will cover it, um, which is great, but not mine and not then. Um, and uh, I found the surgeon I wanted, who was the one that my therapist had recommended to me a long time ago. Um, and I got back in touch with my therapist because I had, you know, after I got testosterone and graduated college, I kind of was like, I'm doing great. I don't really need to talk to you once a month. And so he wrote, wrote the letter that I needed to get approved for the elective surgery <laughs> and uh, got that scheduled and everything. I traveled down to Cleveland, like the four hour drive with my mom and stayed overnight the night beforehand and had an early morning surgery because someone else canceled early in the morning. So I got to get it done first thing in the day. Um, and went in. And you came out. <laughs> got put out. You woke up in the recovery room. Is that like an outpatient um, or is that one where they keep you for a little mm -hmm. while? Yeah, yeah. It was an outpatient uh, procedure. I think they had me stay over one night in like a nearby hotel just to make sure nothing, mm -hmm. you know, everything was okay. Um, but then I went home with my mom. So, Matt, accurate or not accurate, my, uh, let's say a, a writer is writing a book with a trans character and they're about to go and get their top surgery. Uh, accurate to 
have a character who might be a little bit nervous that their nipples might come out a little crooked. <laughs> yeah, valid concern. Valid concern. There, there are some surgeons that I was like, no, because um, some of their results uh, were not as good as the surgeon that I ended up going to. Um, and the nipples are kind of like, the nipples look good. <laughs> You got like probably, you got good nips. Probably <laughs> going with a good search. You got the um, nips. Yeah. So like the the recovery was a whole a whole thing, and I like I don't know like how much to go into just because I feel like I'm talking a lot. But it's important um, stuff though. Uh, I'm actually I'm learning a lot. So okay. okay. Um. So like uh, and obviously uh. It's different for everybody because there are a lot of different procedures. Like there's the, um, you know, it kind of depends on where you're starting from um, size wise mm -hmm. and stuff. <laughs> um, but I got the double incision. So there's, you know, one, one incision under each titty. Um, and then <laughs> I got grafted nipples. Uh, so they're my nipples, but they're made smaller and uh, reattached. Uh, and so like, I don't remember the exact like number of weeks that it took to recover from everything. And like, I think the drains, cause they were drains. Like mm. I came home with drains from the surgeon, one under each arm to kind of collect the fluid. And I had to like empty them oh, on occasion. Good. Yeah, good. Uh, uh, and, uh, that was a whole lot of fun. And then like after a week or 10 days or something, I went back to the surgeon and their nurse, took them out, which was interesting. <laughs> um, and then I was just like, there was a couple different stages of like being bandaged. And like, once the drains came out, I think I had to like, I had bandages over everything and I was wearing like an actual like post-surgical compression vest, um, which is still a lot more comfortable <laughs> than the binder. And that came off and then I was changing just bandages on the nipples with like a lot of, um, I don't remember what exactly I used, but like, Vaseline kind of um, moist, you know, moisture on the bandage and the nipple. Um, but, uh, and then it was a lot of like getting used to being able to move with full flexibility. Like I had oh, to, yeah. um, I was told during the recovery, like stretch your arms like up in a doorway on a routine basis, like crawl your arms up. Don't go all at once because you're, you know, it'll Ooh. feel shitty. <laughs> like the pain, there was a lot of pain in the recovery around around here, and like getting back to using, you know, my my body uh, in the way that I was used to was a was a whole period of um, adjustment. And it's actually funny because this is a writing podcast <laughs> and stuff, and we like books and and comics and movies and stuff. I um so at the time I was really active on Tumblr and the Check Please fandom. It's a comic about yes, gay please. college hockey athletes um and so i actually uh at the time i uh kind of was processing my recovery from top surgery by like drawing one of the characters as a trans guy instead of the cis guy that he is um like going through the same thing Aww, <laughs> and um i love that it was cool because yeah it can't, like it resonated with a lot of people which online, character which was cool. jack jack Zimmerman. Oh. <laughs> I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's kind of a little tip. I think I may have seen your art on Tumblr, like whatever. I, I may have seen that on Tumblr <laughs> back in the day. That may have been pretty popular in the Tumblr yeah, fandom. <laughs> 
some popular posts and actually I, I got a job, like an unrelated <laughs> job from people who had seen my Check Please fan art. So I'm like, do fan art. It's fun and makes connections sometimes. Yeah. So on the topic of writing, like now that yeah. we sort of know your story, like what, like what are your thoughts on cis authors writing trans <laughs> characters? So, okay. <laughs> so complex, complex thoughts. Um, because I mean, for, like, first and foremost, if cis authors didn't write trans characters, then like, we'd have books, with, like, like, there would be a lot of books that, like, I don't, okay, let me restart. I don't think people should shy away from depicting trans characters in their books, because like, if people shy away from that, then like, where does that leave us? It leaves us with that many fewer books with queer characters in it, in them. Um, but I think that research is really important. I think that, you know, finding people who you can go to for advice or sensitivity reading is very important. Um, you know, if you're not just writing for yourself, if you actually intend an audience to see it, you know, try to find people to consult with. And I think just personally, I feel like telling story, or like writing stories about being trans um, or with like someone's gender as a source of conflict, um, I think that that might be hard for cis people to do right or authentically or like in good faith. So that might be a little bit of a tricky area. But like um, you think like so long as do you think that so long as they're doing the research it's okay or like I mean I understand yeah. that this probably puts you this questions can put you in a I precarious mean, position and it's a scary place. But I, yeah, like I mean I've I've. Obviously, and, and the other thing is, like, you never know an author's identity. Like, you never know if someone may appear cis right yeah. now, but then, like, three years later, they might be like, oh, shit. Yeah, I think that's really important. <laughs> you know, like, it happens differently for everyone, and, you know, you never know. And I was going to say, um, you know, like, I've, I've read a couple books by authors that do not appear like do not seem to be trans um that had like trans characters or like trans side characters like i the one that i keep thinking of is um i was darren and i were listening to uh the city we became by nk jemison and there was a character and i was like oh oh that character's trans oh that's cool okay it was you know it's just a side character but like it it's it's like oh i didn't expect that that's a pleasant surprise that's a nice little little nod because, you know, the world is full of people, trans and cis, and so it broadens your world building to, you know, include people of all sorts, which makes it a little bit more realistic. Yeah, which I think kind of plays into what we had as a follow-up question that you kind of addressed, which was, do you feel differently if it is, like, the main character and or if the, you know, if gender is a, a plot point? Versus if they are a side character fleshing out the world, does that kind of affect how you see it? I, I think so, yeah. And I think I think that like I think that it's probably a lot more possible to write a main character who just happens to be trans who is like involved in a larger plot and just happen to, you know, be transgender, like instead of focusing on the transition. Yeah, yeah, I think that that you know those are two very differently weighted. Um, uh, I love it when yeah. someone can can just put a character in a book that is trans and like it's not really yeah. 
made a, a spotlight thing. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's just a normal. You know, it, you know, we like we like both ways. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, both and, is good. and it's funny. <laughs> both is good. Yeah, exactly. Because um, yeah, like I know from it for me personally, it's like it's a personal choice thing because like I have, I feel like I've graduated a little bit in my transition. You know, it's not a big part of my life anymore. I'm kind of like living the way I want to live. And so now I want stories that are like, you know, fully developed stories about other things mm -hmm. that still have people like me in it, um, in them. And whereas, you know, when I was younger, I would have, I would have been more likely to be engaged with a story about a character who is still transitioning and where that plays a bigger role. And again, hard to do maybe by a cis author, but I'm not, you know, ruling it out. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like you know, specific pet peeves about how trans characters are sometimes portrayed in media? Not just in books, but maybe like television too. Like any any <laughs> pet peeves that really like drive you crazy or can you like not think of any? So okay. Uh oh. So I have <laughs> I have I have a two pronged answer to this question. And the first prong is um I am a scaredy cat. So I, I'm very picky about what I, you know, what I read and what I watch. And so I tend, if I don't very often see something where a trans character is portrayed in a way that I don't like, because I'm very nitpicky about what I do, like what I read and what I watch. But there are also some things that I have like blatantly purposely ignored and the only one I can really think about right now is, like, the movie Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swink. Yeah, it's it's about, uh, from what I understand, it's about, it's based on a true story. It's about a trans man, um, and it does not have a happy ending. So I never ended up watching it, despite the fact that it was, like, the biggest media piece of media at the time that I knew of when I was first, you know, exploring my gender that had a trans man in it and I never ended up watching it. And part of that was because I think that I was scared that it would say something about me, you know, like it would mean something like, oh, they depicted it this way. That means that I'm not trans because I'm not like that. Or at the time I may have been, you know, afraid that it would say, you know, I would see it and identify and with it and be like, oh no, that's actually like how I feel. But I never ended up watching it. And nowadays, I'm like, I don't really need to ever watch it because I don't really need to expose myself to trans suffering because I don't get anything out of that. It's not a pleasant experience. I don't really feel like hurting all the time <laughs> because of the media I consume. So I think that if I have any pet peeve, it's it's that that trope of the suffering trans person who probably meets an unfortunate end, um, whether it be to a hate crime or, you know, yeah. anything else. Yeah, it plays into kind yeah. of the, the, yeah. the grander scope of just queer misery as, yeah. I don't even want to say yeah. entertainment, because it's almost like as Oscar right. bait. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just do something different, please? Yeah, like there might be other trans people out there that feel completely different, you know. Sure. Like, absolutely. And, and so we're definitely not saying that this is like a this is like a no, complete no, never do this. It's wrong. Like this is you know everybody does feel different. And there might you know there are definitely some trans people out there that are like, well, we want the world to see our stuff. Mm -hmm. 
I just think it shouldn't be the only option. <laughs> I mean, like I kind of like, like I'm halfway there where I'm like, <laughs> I, I could handle watching a little bit of it, but you know, I don't want it to be like, I don't want it to be like for the thrill. I, I want <laughs> it to feel right for the story. I want it to feel, yeah. you know, I don't want it to just be a money shot. Like, right. Oh, I did this because yeah. I wanted, a yeah. like, I want to be able to feel that it was real. If I do see it. Yeah. yeah, you can have the sad, yeah. but can you also give us some happy? Like, yeah. give us a little bit of both. Yeah. Um. So we kind of talked about you know some of your least favorite portrayals. Do you have a favorite portrayal of a trans character in media? So I I um I have a couple that I want to mention <laughs> if that's okay. Because yes. you know I kind of was like trying to rack my brain for examples. I'm including. I'm also including like non-binary and like mm-hmm. gender non-conforming characters in this because sometimes an identity isn't explicitly yeah. stated but there are vibes or like mm-hmm. you know they're mm-hmm. you know definitely not cis and straight um but like the character i think it's pronounced aristide in um amberlo by uh laura elena mm-hmm. donnelly is um i'll say gender non-conforming uh I think he uses he has pronouns, but like he has a drag persona, and like he's definitely not your typical dude. Um, he's a very very good character, and I loved reading that book. And it was like it it was like I think the first one of the first books that I read in my adult life that had like a like very queer cast, and like it was like, but it wasn't focused on that. It was like queer James Bond, mm-hmm. and like I can highly recommend the book, but. The ending of the first book in the series of three is rough. <laughs> it does not have a happy ending, but I think the series all, as a whole does. But like, I love, like, I, I love the tragedy of it. It's it's really good, but um, you know, it's it's a it's a good book. It's a uh, it's got great characters in it. But um, on, on another couple examples. <laughs> I'll say Alana of Trebond from the Song of the Lioness series. It's a young adult series by Tamora Pierce. Um, That was formative to me. It's, you know, it's a young girl who dresses as a boy in order to become a squire Mm -hmm. or page. I don't remember which one's first. But, um, and, you know, she goes on to become a knight and everything like that. And, you know, she's not, she's not what we might say is trans. You know, she was as as it was written a girl disguised as a boy but in later years the author has actually come out and said you know i don't i didn't have words for it then Aww. but I, you know she probably was gender fluid at the very least Aww. um and so like reading those books as a young kid like i was like ah i you know i saw something of myself in her Maura pierce is great for like ya fantasy mm-hmm. she is she's wonderful and then uh two more characters <laughs> No, three more. Sorry, I, that's fine. We need we need good ones. We need good examples okay, that people okay. can look into. Gender nonconforming. Brienne of Tarth. Love Brienne of Tarth. Amazing character from Game of Thrones. <gasps> so good, Brienne. I love her. She's fantastic. Jim from Our Flag Means of yeah. Means Death, of course. Love the portrayal. I love how that like everything in that whole situation was was portrayed and then they handled that amazingly by the way just like a nod to our black youth that like the way that they handle jim is just so natural it doesn't like do the it doesn't do the i want to put a spotlight on this thing it like doesn't do any of that it just feels so organic and i love it Mm -hmm. 
And honestly, like, there's an aspect of, like, that's kind of how it is when you have a group of queer friends, <laughs> too. Like, there, it's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super realistic, because it's like, okay, that's Jim. It's like, okay. <laughs> they yeah. Yeah. Jim, Jim chooses they, them pronouns. Jim. We don't talk about what Jim said, you know, was beforehand. Jim is um, not a mermaid. And, Moving on. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <fucking> mermaid. <laughs> um, and then the last one is... Uh, the, the character's name is Robbie. I wrote it down and then I didn't double check myself. But from um, Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin, which is a very, um, very fun uh, post-apocalyptic, like gender apocalypse sort of horror book and written by a trans woman. Uh, Robbie is like one of very few like trans guys existing in a world that is made up of like basically the premise for the story is everyone with a certain level of testosterone becomes like a like a feral a feral man like they're <laughs> basically it. like the fast moving zombies you know <laughs> um and so the cast of the book is made up of a lot of trans women um who who you know you see their struggle to obtain the hormones that they need to continue living their identity identities um, and then you see the rise of Terps as the villains. And then you get Robbie, who's this trans man who was not on hormones when the gender apocalypse happened. And it's it's a, it's heavy and it's violent and it's gory. It's a horror novel. Yeah, this is the book where you know who dies, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. It, it, death is described. <laughs> um, is the you know who the you know who I think it might be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the you know who, like Voldemort number yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a very fun book to read, and it's a great book if you have a strong stomach and want to really kind of get into the nitty gritty of like the body horror that you that that exists just by being trans, <laughs> especially being trans in a post-apocalyptic sort of setting, and like everything that entails. And kind of also to get like a sense of empathy and kind of like get deep into everything <laughs> that because it's written by a trans woman, the cast is mostly trans characters. Like it's it's fantastic. It was a really fun read, and Robbie is is um, a really great character. That's that's my list. And I will also later for those who are listening to this on audio, put all of these in the show notes that you can find links to them. I think. Final question, um, just would you give any final advice uh, to, to writers, um, just just random sparks of wisdom to how to better portray their trans characters, anything like that? Um, just kind of loose stuff, like read and watch and view art, writing and, you know, everything that's things that have been made by trans people, trans creators, and like follow trans artists and writers and everything on social media and stuff. And, like talk to trans people or find, try and find like sensitivity readers for your writing. If you know, it's going to be something bigger research, like the history of movements, like queer movements and like in the lives of individuals who like throughout history have been trans or gender nonconforming. Like there's a lot of really interesting history about uh, you know from different points in time and different places in the world that can kind of provide insight and then like 
right with like empathy and like as much authenticity as you can find within yourself like even if you're not trans yourself like try to put yourself in a trans person's shoes and, or like try to find an emotional an analogy from your own life to like what kind of feelings that you're writing like because i bet that if you try hard enough you can you know find some time in your life where you have felt the way that this might have felt and though it might not be like an equivalent it, it's probably similar enough to like channel that emotion into your writing and then if you've got a strong strong stomach pay attention to trans issues in the news mm -hmm. just to get a sense for what we kind of deal with on a day-to-day -day basis <laughs> yeah. um, and uh again with the the empathy and stuff like kind of get a feel for it um but above all i guess like remain open-minded mm -hmm. um and don't be afraid to explore which goes for gender too <laughs> Okay, is there anything else that we forgot to ask that you would like to add? If you want, if you're looking for, like, more, like, there are a lot of lists online and stuff of, the like, books and short stories and everything that, that have trans characters in them, or queer characters in general. But also, if you're into fan fiction, there there's a lot of, like, fan fiction that takes you know, main characters of things and kind of tweaks the gender a little bit. Um, and there's some really good stuff out there. I myself have mostly only read like Hannibal, uh, Critical Role Check Please, and like Magnus Archives stuff. There's also some good Harry Potter stuff, but I can't speak to that anymore these days. Although, if it's fan fiction that is playing with gender, is that yeah. like that's subversive <laughs> at this point? Yeah, it, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, you love it when people that's take J.K. Rowling's characters and make them trans because yeah. it makes her it so yes, yeah, so it probably makes her so <laughs> angry. Trans all the genders. I just want to make a little note. Um, I was gonna put Matt on the spot for this, but since I'm already out of myself and stuff, I might as well do it. <laughs> um, so what I was going to say, just real quick, uh, the darker, uh, more R-rated side of things, just a little tidbit for you. Um, it's funny, when I get new partners, sometimes they don't, <laughs> don't really understand how it works. Um, or like they don't understand like the extent of what I can do <laughs> in the bedroom. Um, do some research because let me tell you what, uh, writers, there's some pretty cool prosthetics out there. Um, that retain a lot of pleasure, and I think you should probably look into that kind of stuff, especially if you're, like, writing a spicy book. <laughs> um, uh, it's We are not incapable of feeling um, sexual pleasure. Make sure, if you need to do your spicy research, that you do do it extensively, because we have some tricks up our sleeve that you should probably know about. <laughs> <laughs> and And... Probably start somewhere other than porn yeah, for your online yes. research into spicy topics because while some of it can be very good, uh, not always the most accurate <laughs> to life, which goes for that most of the time. Also, uh, that's not, I want to make sure that you also know that um, some trans people, uh, many trans people, in fact, like their biological parts mm -hmm. quite a bit. So, you know, some people have horror with them. Some people don't. We're all different. We're all different. Yeah. 
thanks, Max Spencer, for joining us. You're welcome. It was really nice to have you as our yes. first interviewee. We are to do some more of these. We're just getting all of our ducks in a row with who's next, but I have a feeling that um, my friend that has a PhD in forensic scientist might be next with uh, how to be a murderer. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. talk more about that when we have a more for sure date. Um, we'll be back on many episodes for a few weeks just because of life stuff coming up. Our next live stream will be on September 30th about aging your voice up to adult from YA. Something I have very personal experience with. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you can find everything you need for the podcast at anditswriting.com. Uh, look us up anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at anditswriting uh, for any other episode update, updates and notifications. Or if you like what you're hearing, join our Discord group. Check out the website for details. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you all again soon. Thank you so much, Matt. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.